From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. I really do believe that compromise is not a bad word, that um, listening to people who have different ideas, I may disagree with them, but there may be something in there that makes perfect sense and that we ought to include in how we move forward on issues like child care. We're, we're going to disagree about, about reproductive rights. We're, we're just not going to you know, come together, I don't think, um, many of us who, who have a certain belief system about that, but so many other things that really matter uh, that we can come together on, and I think we all have to be open to that because we have to bring the temperature down in this country and talk to one another, whatever party we belong to or whatever ideology we may have. That's Governor J.B. Pritzker speaking at the Center for American Progress Annual Ideas Conference. That's a progressive event. It was held in Washington. It's another moment on a national stage for the governor. So we thought we would take some time this week to discuss Pritzker on the national level. Also, the migrant issue in Chicago, winter on the way. We got a taste of that this week. What's going to happen next? We'll talk about it and more coming up on State Week. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former Director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie has also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. I'm Sean Crawford, and our guest this week, Rick Pearson, the Chief Political Reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And Rick, it's always good to have you back with us. Thank you for having me. So, Rick, you wrote about the governor being at this event, and J.B. Pritzker being given this national platform, I have to say I was a bit surprised at the conciliatory tone because not as much red meat for that crowd. He talked a lot about working together, even if people have differing views. We heard some of that. How did that go over at this event? Well, you know, that's really why I, I wrote the story. I was kind of thinking this would just be another one of uh, Pritzker's, uh, you know, fire him up speeches like he has been doing really kind of more and more on a national level to the Florida Democratic Party, uh, other uh, type events. And so going to Washington, and this is a, uh, the center is a, is a known, very big progressive conclave, a big event. And so that's really what struck me was rather than, you know, serving up the red meat and, you know, are you ready to fight? It was more of a, a passive Pritzker uh, talking about, you know, stop, let's stop the name calling, let's listen more, let's turn down the temperature. Now, I will say that uh, earlier before he made that speech, he had also talked about issues of divisions as a result of the Israeli war on Hamas and issues involving the Palestinian community and had made similar comments about turning down the temperature. So that that did kind of track with what he has, had been saying in, in recent days. But, you know, at the same time, and, and going back to the Israeli-Hamas conflict, you know, when Pritzker uh, spoke about how Illinois, you know, uh, unsparingly gives its support to Israel, uh, and then talks a few days later about turning down the temperature, the question is raised, well, didn't you help turn up the temperature a bit well, we always so, we always say candidates you know run uh, on either side run to the left or right in primaries and they kind of run to the middle in the general election 
it felt as though, and I don't want to read too much into this. I mean, certainly we've heard him, him being talked about as a possible presidential hopeful at some point. Well, I was, I, I, I did reach out to some of his people and they said that, you know, no, this isn't a pivot. It's more of a reflection of the climate that we're in right now. But still, I think if you do harbor these, you know, future ambitions for higher office, like president of the United States, and you're speaking to a group like this, I'm not sure that's exactly the message they wanted to hear. Particularly, you know, as I noted in my story, we're, ta we're talking about uh, a, a Democratic governor who's never been shy to try to pin Republicans' ears back. And, and I mean, the dismissive tone that he took, for example, over the criticism that the Senate Republicans had raised and questions they had raised about uh, the Goshen uh, deal for the uh, electric car battery plant in Mantino, and, and Pritzker's letter was as dismissive as you could get with, with that towards Republicans, basically saying it was a, these questions are another example of your irrelevancy. So, you know, that's and that was only a few days earlier. So this this the sharp contrast is really what kind of made me wonder if anything's going on. But as his aides say, he'll be back into his partisan tenor uh, at, at the appropriate time. And Charlie, there's no uh, nothing, nothing wrong. In fact, I, I kind of applaud somebody for saying, let's let's sit down and try to uh, see where we might have some. Uh, similarities, and you know, we can always agree to disagree on different things. I think that's how politics has worked through much of the history of the country: uh, the ability to compromise, the ability to have these conversations. That being said, he has not had to work with the other side of the aisle very much at all because Democrats have the super majorities in the legislature, even in Congress. We, you know, haven't had uh, we have a, a pretty big Democratic majority coming from Illinois, so. In that respect, he, he hasn't been put to that test to be able to sit down and, and work out these agreements. Is that, that a good way to put it, you think? Yeah, I think that's fair, because here in Illinois, the the only, what would you say, the the only concessions that would need to be made would be within the Democratic caucuses themselves or between the two chambers, between the Senate and the House, because the Republicans and as somebody who believes in a strong two-party system, I say, unfortunately, they have painted themselves into a super minority corner. From my perspective, and Rick would realize this too, I'm sure, this is not the Republican Party that was able to elect, to elect Jim Thompson governor four times or Jim Egger twice. This is somebody totally different. And Rick, I thought it was interesting in your story about the uh, Washington conference, you, you pointed out, and I, I'll read from your story, it says, a few hours later, and this is after he made this kind of conciliatory remarks, a few hours later, after the Republican majority in U.S. House ended 22 days of deadlock by electing U.S. Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana as the new speaker, Prisker wrote on the former Twitter, that Johnson was, quote, dangerous for our country and was, quote, the architect of Trump's big lie. So he, he may have decided after giving this conciliatory remarks that, okay, that's enough of that. Now let's get back to, to bashing the folks that I think are dangerous for the country. 
and 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 uh, you know i agree about the fact of of uh, where the republican party has gone from what it used to be and and yes they do in many cases border on irrelevancy uh because of the positions that they've taken and uh i mean for pritzker i mean compromise and that's the trouble with really politics and it's true on both sides is uh you know compromise used to be kind of the hallmark of statesmanship and now it's the hallmark of surrender and with that as an attitude it's 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 not it's it's not sustainable it's not governable well charlie the problem or maybe the advantage at times of being a governor is that you have a record you can't really run away from that record good or bad and pritzker's you know, whether people didn't feel they got enough red meat, as we talked about there at this conference, or maybe some other things he said at times, he, his progressive credentials are very strong. Assault weapons ban, abortion rights, ending cash bail, things like this. I mean, maybe he feels he's good there. Maybe, though, at the national level, you know, and there are a lot of progressives at the national level who are kind of starting to make uh, you know make gestures toward running for president at some point maybe he feels he needs to try to separate himself at least a little bit and say i'm i'm a realistic person i'm also somebody who uh, might be able to work with the other side if given an opportunity i don't know yeah i suppose that makes sense that if you were going to run nationally you would try and position yourself more as a centrist than you would need to do to be able to reelect get yourself reelected here in illinois and I know people talk about uh, J.B. Pritzker as a potential future presidential candidate. I think that is so far away that it's it's not really all that informative to be speculating about it. It'd be like us sitting here and, and trying to figure out, well, how are the my favorite teams, the White Sox or the Cardinals, going to do three years from now? Because so much could happen in that time. And the first, I guess, if, if Governor Pritzker is serious about wanting to run for president, I would guess the first thing he has to do is decide that he's got to run for another term as governor. And were he to be elected as governor the third time, he would become the second longest serving governor in Illinois history behind only Jim Thompson, who was elected four times for a total of 14 years. And so I don't know what the governor's uh, or ultimate plans are going to be. But yeah, I agree with the premise that if you want to run nationally, you you have to be able to do well in the, whether you call them the swing states, where being as progressive as Prisker has been with his Illinois record is maybe not that helpful. Although on financial affairs, it would be helpful because he's done a very good job of writing the, the ship of state financially. Rick, uh, you follow national politics probably certainly more closely than, than Charlie and I do, but, you know, in your mind, is it going to be a progressive candidate for the Democrats? Let's say in 2028, let's let's say that Joe Biden will be the nominee next year. Uh, do you think the, the party will shift more to a progressive movement, uh, you know, four years, uh, more than four years down the road? Absolutely. And, and I think, too, it's, you know, it's it's part of a generational shift too. Uh, when and not not to make any comments about Biden's age, but when you look at some of the the pillars uh, in the Democratic Party nationally in the power structure, um, 
by the time we get to, to 2028, I'm not sure a lot of them will still be on the political scene. And I, I think as the party gets younger, it gets more progressive and those people come to the fore. Uh, but I mean, if you just go back to the you know most recent Democratic contested primaries for president, uh, there's no shortage of, of progressives that are out there from, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, that that that's something that I think that evolution of the party just continues. You are listening to State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler and the Chicago Tribune's Rick Pearson. Well, speaking of Governor Pritzker, Rick, we saw just in the last couple of weeks an announcement of a new group that's being formed, and he is putting money behind this. This uh, this puts him really, I think, at the forefront on the national stage. He is sort of putting his money where his mouth is, an advocacy group. And from what I understand, it will do things like support or oppose certain ballot measures in other states. It will promote abortion rights, LGBTQ rights. Fill us in, Rick, on what is this, and it's called the Think Big, or Think Big is the name of it. What what will this actually accomplish? Well, I think this is a way, and, and well, number one, obviously, uh, J.B. Pritzker is the wealthiest elected politician serving in the United States worth like $3.4 billion. And he's never been uh, shy about helping candidates and causes a, across the nation. I think this is a way that kind of formalizes that. It, it one, uh, I just see it as an expansion of his footprint nationally. Again, you know, perhaps with that eye towards a, a future run for the presidency, um, but also a way to use his money. And quite frankly, this is a dark money pack uh, to use money from others to one, uh, further his support of abortion rights. And that, that's that been kind of a hallmark issue for him. And, and he recounts about uh, doing uh, abortion rights work as, as a young child with his late mother in California. Um, it's a it's a cause very close to him. And that's that's the preeminent thing is to use this pack to help other candidates for office. There's ballot initiatives. Uh, Ohio has one for uh, on Tuesday that would amend the state's constitution there to enshrine a right to abortion in the in the constitution there uh if you remember there was a kind of a trial run for that uh, not that long ago when republicans were trying they're trying to make it a 60 percent approval rate for constitutional amendment adoption and that was defeated which was viewed as a precursor for uh abortion rights supporters winning uh this proposition on tuesday but you also have other races around the country where it's not just ballot issues, but, you know, Virginia, the fate of the Virginia legislature is up. Uh, and and so this is a way to provide support to legislators there to try to ensure Democrats are, are a controlling factor. I, I just think I just think it's a big, vast statement of, of, about the footprint that he wants to make on politics nationally. Charlie, I'll let you weigh in on this as well. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And and Rick did mention it, but he's also contributed a million dollars in Nevada uh, 
to support a ballot question that's coming up next year that would establish a fundamental right to reproductive rights. And so he's, as, as Rick noted, he's been a very strong supporter of reproductive rights basically his whole life. And he was active in supporting these causes well before he was elected as governor. And he's in a position where with his wealth, he's able to influence these elections across to, to help contribute to these causes across the country. And it also helps his national profile, if you will, because as you mentioned, he is without a doubt the wealthiest potential presidential candidate out there. And Rick and Charlie, I'm going to let you both weigh in on this, but you followed governors and other elected officials from the state for you know many years now. I don't remember anybody, uh, Jim Thompson, he was governor. There had been thoughts, I think, at one point of maybe a presidential run for him. You know, even Jim Edgar, I think I heard that bandied about once. But I don't remember anybody getting the type of national attention that Pritzker is getting from the governor's office of Illinois. Certainly Barack Obama is a, a completely different topic. But uh, I don't remember that. And, of course, the money is a big part of it. But but do you recall anybody else uh, during your tenure really, you know, trying uh, getting that type of attention from the state of Illinois and from the governor's office? I think certainly Thompson did get attention. But in my recollection, it was more as vice presidential uh, timber. Uh, well, and yes, there was speculation about because of his tenure and the fact that Illinois then was kind of a, was a, a bellwether state in presidential elections, uh, that that he did gain some attention and some national attention, but it, it to me I think most of that attention was focused more on on uh, as being a potential running mate. Yeah, and Charlie, your thoughts too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I'm thinking back if I recall correctly. Uh, Dan Walker had presidential ambitions, <laughs> and I think I think maybe Rod Blagojevich did too. He figured being president would be a great way to to make himself wealthy. But Illinois, by and large, has not had governors who've had national aspirations, at least not in the time I've been following it. And and part of it is that the the job of being governor requires you to make hard decisions. And, and in Pritzker's case, it's it's not been that difficult for him because, as I said earlier, he's got a, a general assembly that basically he can work with. Uh, the Republicans are kind of an afterthought. And so you, you, you don't have the opportunity that some other candidates might have to be out there, what would you say, making a name for themselves, particularly you look at people who, who serve in, in the U.S. Senate or U.S. Congress, they really can go out and campaign and, and do a lot of stuff without actually having to be responsible for getting anything done. Whereas a governor has to actually try and make his state operate and take care of the, the nuts and bolts of providing services to people. And I would say one of the difficulties that Governor Pritzker might encounter should he decide to run for president would be people looking back and pointing to some of the difficulties we've had here in Illinois with operation of the executive branch. Things like the ongoing problems for decades with the Department of Children and Family Services. 
the difficulties in the Department of Corrections, or lately the stories coming about coming out about the Emergency Management Agency and the questionable spending. So it's not as exciting as the red meat sound bites, but it's the kind of thing that Apple research, opposition research would point out about Governor Pritzker that. Yes, he's been very progressive on things like abortion rights, things like gun control. On the other hand, in the day-to-day job of managing state government, uh, he's not been that good. This weekend, we're seeing some milder weather across the state, but we got a good taste of winter weather earlier in the week, colder temperatures, even some snow in northern Illinois and Chicago. And that is a big problem with a lot of migrants who are still living in tents outside and this back and forth continues between the state, the city, the federal government about what has to happen there to house these migrants who can pay for it. And Rick, you had a story saying this issue is freeing the Democratic Party base. Talk more about that, if you could. It's it's the issue of the feelings of underserved communities, the black and brown communities, who now see the money being expended to try to house and help these migrants. And it's basically coming back to the question of where is the help for our community? Where has that help ever been? How come we haven't gotten any? And even in, for example, like the Latino community, there's a backlash of those who emigrated here legally. Of course, these migrants are here legally, but they're not full citizens. And so it, it, it encompasses a lot of the tensions here that that really kind of make up the base. I think that's one example uh, why, you know, despite the fact that uh, Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, and the new city budget budgeted $150 million for migrant services when it would have cost at least twice that, and his belief was, oh, well, Springfield will come to the rescue, And I think one of the reasons why Springfield isn't coming to the rescue is because this isn't, number one, I don't know that they could pass any kind of supplemental appropriation to help the city. Uh, And two, I don't think that uh, any of the Democratic leaders in the legislature want to open the doors for this debate on the floor of the House and Senate. Charlie, you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And the... The notion that the the state is going to get and the city is going to get a ton of federal money to help, I think, is really a, a pipe dream. I believe uh, Mayor Johnson, Brandon Johnson, was out this week in in Washington lobbying. He talked to some of the White House staff. He and and mayors from several other big cities, and they're asking for five billion dollars from the federal government to help these municipalities deal with this influx of folks, many of whom are fleeing horrible economic and political conditions in in their homelands, Venezuela, for example. And so they're asking for 5 billion. And the Biden's White House is only asking Congress for 1.4 billion in supplemental funding to help migrants And the chances of him getting that are really slim. Uh, the, the, The nation is headed for a governmental shutdown. And I'm not sure that the new leadership in the House of Representatives 
is going to be amenable to reaching the kind of compromises that would be needed. So I don't think the fact that we're going to get a ton of money from Washington, I don't think that's at all realistic. And I think we're going to have to continue to rely on volunteers and on church groups. There was a story the other day about a, a situation where a pastor of an Oak Park church got a call at one o'clock in the morning saying that some of these folks who are camped out outside the Austin Police District headquarters, just across the, the village line from Chicago, are there in tents and it's snowing and they're freezing to death. And so the, the pastor opened up the church and brought like 100 people in. I'm afraid that's what's going to have to happen. The city doesn't have the facilities. And as, as Rick pointed out, the conflict between longtime residents who say, we've been getting stiff for decades, and now suddenly these new folks show up and you're going out of your way to try and help them. That's not fair. I think it's going to rely more on private groups and particularly I think the the religious groups and maybe this is uh, getting a feel but maybe they should just listen to the the basic tenets of most of the major religions about uh, helping your neighbor and open their doors and do more to to assist these immigrants Rick, only about 30 seconds here, but uh, your thoughts on Mayor Johnson, on how he's handling this situation. I mean, from a distance, it looks a little chaotic. What you're seeing from a distance is what we're seeing here. It's absolutely chaotic. Uh, trying to locate uh, migrant encampments. Uh, aldermen aren't being told about uh, efforts to move people into buildings in their in their wards. Uh, prompting protests there just from people who want to know what's going on. Um, he won't answer direct questions about those kinds of things. They're remodeling buildings without going through proper zoning and, and building permits. So if there's some kind of building collapse, who's on the hook for that? Um, it, it's just very, it's been a very uh, chaotic approach to handling this and and, it, it, and it's playing out on a daily basis. Well, time for the notes from the field. Charlie, we'll go to you. All righty. Well, we're at the beginning of a new month, and the University of Illinois Flash Index came out for October last month, and it showed a slight increase to 103 from a 102.9 reading in September. Anything above 100 means that our economy is still growing. And it's compiled by Professor J. Fred Geertz at the Institute of Government and Public Affairs at the U of I. And he says, quote, though the index has remained stable, the steadiness results from countervailing factors. State revenues remain strong, while Illinois unemployment has ticked upward. And kind of reinforcing that notion, the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability released its monthly briefing for October. And it shows that through the first third of this fiscal year, Total general fund receipts are up $611 million. Income tax, personal income taxes are up $516 million on a net basis. Corporate taxes are down marginally, $13 million. Sales taxes are up $56 million. The interest that the state earns on its funds and investments 
was $225 million through October compared to $72 million this time a year ago. And that is uh, more than tripled. And I think that is a result of probably the higher interest rates that are being paid. That's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Rick Pearson with the Chicago Tribune. You can find our show where you get your podcasts through the NPR app and at nprillinois.org. Just look for State Week. I'm Sean Crawford, and join us next time. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.